please do so. If not, either way, turn to Psalm 19. Our verses this morning are 65 to 72. We're still on page 513. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in the pew in front of you or around you. You could grab that, turn to page 513. Otherwise, our, our, our verses this morning begin at verse 65. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word. And every word of yours is, of course, true. But every word of yours is also living and active and powerful. And we pray that as we spend these moments together now looking more closely at this segment of your word, that by your spirit you would be at work in our hearts and lives, opening our eyes, changing our hearts, working another layer of your salvation into us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Of course, we're making our way through Psalm 119, the the first half of Psalm 119 up through uh, the end of November. Psalm 119 is so valuable in that it shows us the functional and the practical significance of the Word of God in the life of a follower of Christ. And I'm so appreciative of, of Brian's remarks that his, so far, as far as he's concerned, this time in Psalm 119 is, has helped him to better see uh, the importance of God's Word in his life daily. And I, I pray that that's true of me and each of us as we are making our way through Psalm 119. Of course, that's what the whole thing is about, the Word of God, and yet each unit has a particular facet uh, about the Word of God. And this unit of eight verses... It pertains to affliction. Now, you, you notice we just sang verses 89 to 96. Those, are, those pertain to affliction as well. But this, this deals with affliction from still another angle. I'm going to slice these eight verses into two segments, four verses apiece, verses 65 to 68 uh, and verses 69 to 72. And the first thing I want to notice is how each of these segments say something to us, first and foremost, about affliction. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in the second segment there in verse 71, it is good 
uh, for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Now, the particulars of this affliction probably go back to some of the things he said in verse 19 and verse 21, 22, and 23 about the insolent, the haughty, the, the princes who were plotting against him, who were, who were treating him with contempt and scorn. So this is the, probably the, the affliction that he's still picked up and now revisiting from a slightly different angle. Even in verse 69 of our reading this morning, he says the insolent, which is, he introduced those to those guys back in verse 21, I believe, the insolent smear me with lies. So that's the particular bent or nature of the affliction. He is hurt and hurting because people have afflicted him, out to get him. Two things I want us to note about this affliction from these two segments of this unit. First of all, I want us to think in verses 65 to 68 about the goodness of God and our affliction. And then we'll spend a little bit of time then in verses 69 to 70 noting the wickedness of man and our affliction. The first point, the goodness of God and our affliction. When I say goodness of God, that really orients us to um, another important thing that's running through these eight verses, 65 to 72. Um, In five of the eight verses, for a total of six times, the word good is mentioned. For instance, in 65, you have dealt well, or really good, but... I mean, I'm still trying to figure out when to use well and when to use good in our, you know, you know. but we would, translate it, we would translate it well in this context. You have dealt good or well with your servant. Verse 66, teach me good judgments. And then twice in 68, you are good and do good. And then in um, 71, it is good for me to be afflicted. And then in 72, uh, the law of your mouth is gooder. It's the word good, but I mean, we don't, I just wish we'd make English easier. Why isn't it good, gooder, and goodest? But anyway, that's why I'm not an English teacher, but... um, but it's the word good. So you see, the, you see that rebar that's running through these eight verses. Uh, and one of the things that it's underscoring to us is um, when we think about affliction, we, we, have to, we have to run our affliction and see our affliction through the, the, the framework of God's goodness. All affliction that God's children experience is under the sovereign supervision of God, who verse 68 says, is good and does good. Now, that's kind of redundant. I mean, it's good that he said it this way. Bad English, but good theology, if you would. It reminds us that that God's actions always flow out of his nature. God does good because, well, he can't help himself. That's what he is. He is good. And since he is good, all that he can do and only what he can do is good. See, now wait a minute. 
If I could press this a bit, you mean that's all he can do? I mean, doesn't, isn't God a free moral agent? Uh, can't, can't God do what he wants to? Yeah, but, but then do you see the nature of it? God can do what he wants to, but since his nature is good and righteous and holy, that's all that he is capable of doing. You and I are free moral agents in, the, in, in one sense, and yet, and yet really our free choices are simply the conduit through which our nature chooses and flows. The reason that God is only capable of doing good is because that's all He is. He is good. He is only good. He is always good. And so, therefore, He only and always does good. Now, it's necessary to try to get our minds around this heavy theological concept because it is necessary for us to have categories of the goodness of God if we hope to weather, if we hope to even benefit from the adversities in our lives, we must have as a bedrock conviction the absolute, eternal, always and forever goodness of God. Not, 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 not merely that we agree that he usually gets it right or he typically gets it right or more often than not he does the, what is right, but that he only does the right thing always. He is great and he is good. And we've got to have a grasp of that. We've we got we to get this on the front end of life. We've got to get out ahead of this, if you would, and hope that uh, when, when, when adversity faces us, if we don't have a category of the goodness of God, then, we won't ha- make a, then the adversity won't make a bit of sense to us. Look, there's things that have already unfolded in our lives. There's things yet to unfold in our lives that when they do unfold in our lives, just like in the past, we won't understand all that is happening to us at that moment. And our minds will be swirling and our hearts will be fluttering. And so that's why it is essential that we may not understand all of the nuances and particulars of what swirls around us, but, but we must know something of the goodness of God. And, that, and that's really what's guiding the psalmist here. He is interpreting this adversity through the lens of God is good and God does good. See, it is not merely adversity per se that whoops us and beats us down. It is the meaning and the interpretation that we attach to said afflictions that is really what whoops us and beats us down. You see, either, either, either adversity will color or interpret our view of God and His goodness, or our view of God and His goodness will color or interpret our grasping of adversity. That's why the psalmist is, by the grace of God, seeing things right. He says in verse 68, this God who is good and does good, he says in verse 68, you have dealt 
good. You have done good. You have dealt well with your servant. It's, we've seen this term before in this psalm. It's really a reminder. It's a covenant term. It's basically a reminder that the psalmist is living in covenant relationship with God, that, that he is striving to be uh, uh, to, in faithful service to the terms of the covenant, to the God of the covenant, and that the God of the covenant is faithfully protecting and overseeing him. And so he says in the second part of verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. You have been faithful, God, to all of your promises. Where does hope come from when the bottom drops out and adversity overwhelms us? Where do we have to cling to when there's nothing to cling to and and we're surrounded by adversity? What we have to cling to is the true, sure, eternal, ever-faithful promises of God. And that's really what he's saying. You have dealt well with your servant just like you promised you would. Now, what exactly has God promised us in terms of adversity? Well, let me borrow from a couple other psalms, if I could touch on that for a second. Psalm 34, verse 6 says, The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I might note what he's really saying here is that we are not exempt, even as the Lord's good, I mean, even as the Lord's well-loved people, we are not exempt from troubles, from adversity. Uh, and, and, but, and, and in fact, what we see in this is that there's actually a, a common, it's actually a common normal path that God uses for beneficial good purposes. And, and yet, while we're not exempt from troubles, the Lord promises to deliver his people out of all their troubles. Psalm 30 reminds us, weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes in the morning. I don't think we have to take that in this case as a literal 12-hour segment. In other words, I'm, I've just, my, my affliction is going to last 12 hours just through the night. And then when the morning comes, voila. Uh, no, that, that's, that's not what he's implying here. But what he's saying is that there is, for God's children, there's always a termination point to our affliction. It could be longer than the night. That's why Psalm 6 reminds us. The psalmist says, My soul is greatly troubled. How long, O Lord? We certainly catch ourselves in extended sessions of affliction. And yet, the Lord is ever faithful to His Word. And the psalmist gets that God, that, that God who is good is orchestrating good outcomes to his affliction. So that's why he would say in verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge. What's he saying? Lord, you are good and you do good. I am in the middle of this affliction. And so, Lord, teach me 
verse 68, uh, you, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Teach me your statutes. Do you, do you see the prayer that's being offered up in the midst of the adversity? Lord, it hurts. Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, you are good and you do good. And so teach me good out of this. perfectly good. It's perfectly appropriate in our affliction to say, Lord, would you get me out of this affliction? That's okay to pray that. It's good to pray that. But what I'm saying is another good thing to pray is that, Lord, while you linger me in this affliction, teach me. May I learn good things. So he says in verse 67 then about this affliction, as he narrows it, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, the psalmist is not a rebellious rogue. This is not self-inflicted affliction. This is not affliction from doing natively bad things. This is, this is more of, of unjust affliction, if you would, of innocent affliction, And yet he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. What I would suggest is that while he wasn't a rogue, while he wasn't radically bad or evil per se, his his direction in his life is now more focused as a result of this adversity. I'm now more zoned in on on how how to love and serve God as his servant even more. I was a servant before this. And, or as Hebrews 12 reminds us, that in the Lord's hand of discipline on, his lives, on our lives because he loves us, it, it, discipline and training produces a harvest of peaceful righteousness. But what does this psalm have to say not just about the goodness of God and adversity, But what does this psalm have to say about the wickedness of man and our affliction, our adversity? Well, he tags them and labels them. He's already referred to them, but verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies. The insolent, these are the haughty guys. These are the arrogant ones. They're the the wicked. They're the ones in this context who have little or no regard for God's word. They're the ones that deserve a little affliction. Okay, in time and in God's sovereignty, that's true. But that's not how God's playing this out at this moment. Right now, he's using the insolent through their own intentions and purposes to accomplish something good in the psalmist's life. And what they're doing, they're smearing him with lies, which indicates that this is unjust adversity, unjust suffering. He, it indicates that he is innocent. They're bringing up bogus charges, accusations against him. This is ill-deserved adversity, much like, I keep referring to it, if we were to read through the book of Daniel right now, we would see that the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel so well illustrates uh, the, the very language and descriptions in Psalm 119. So whether Daniel wrote Psalm 119 or not, he's a poster child of Psalm 119. The insolent smeared him with lies. The insolent brought bogus charges against him. This is bad people plotting against the psalmist. 
And we, we live in an ornery world. Do you realize that this week there are bad people that are plotting against you? <laughs> How does that make you feel? Like, oh, I feel warm now all of a sudden. <laughs> well loved. But I mean, that's just the reality of it. Not everyone likes you. Everyone likes me, but I mean, that's either here or there. But I mean, what's not to love, right? But, and, and if I could press this even further, not everyone likes you, not because of the way you comb your hair or, or brush your teeth or whatnot. Everyone likes you because you have chosen to identify with Jesus and to follow him. And there are people either, either acutely or mildly who don't like you, who would like to smear you. Boy, and you know what just seems normal at that moment? Bring it on! I'll fight fire with fire. They're going to do me dirty. I'm going to do them dirty. Well... Maybe I just was just thinking out loud. Maybe that's not the way you naturally trend it. Um, but, I mean, it, it's eye for eye season, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's time to get revenge. It's, to, it's time to get our blood uh, uh, vengeance and payback. I mean, we, that, we, that's just a natural way we, we think about these things. When someone hurts us, we have an arsenal of retaliation uh, to, to fire back. And yet, because of what the psalmist knows and has said to us in the first segment, the goodness of God and our affliction, that has to hit the pause button before we go retaliatory. That has to to cause us to, to adjust and desist in our immediate reflex to retaliate. The insolent smear me with lies. Yeah, well, I've got the goods on them, too. No, the insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Lord, they're out to get me. And, and in some cases, they're out to get me, Lord, just because I call you Lord and I want to try to follow you as Lord. So, Lord, let's go me and you against them. No, Lord, let me follow your word more closely. That's counterintuitive. That that takes the very presence and grace of God to reorient our perspective at, at that moment. You see, bad people plotting against us doesn't change the first point of our, of our message this morning, that our affliction is under the sovereign supervision of a God who is good and does good. It just so happens that the way that God has wired the universe, 
The universe uh, uh, operates with, with multiple intentions occurring. There is a concurrency of agendas at work in the universe. There are bad people out to hurt God's people. And there is God who only purposes good for his people. And yet sometimes uh, those counter-opposite intentions manifest themselves in and through the same situation. The insolent smearing him with lies is nevertheless the kind of adversity that God intends to cause his heart to learn God's word even further. Do you see why he's playing this out? Things that unfold ad- adverse-wise, adverse, adverse, adverse-wise, the, the ad- affliction that comes into our lives at the hands of evil people meant for evil toward us are at the same time events under the control and supervision of God that are by God, meant, from, meant, meant by God for our good. Think of... Think of the classic example of this is, is Joseph and his brothers. Think of how, how the brothers were envious and uh, jealous of, of daddy's little boy. And think of how they, they sold him and threw him, threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave and then told his dad he was dead and, and took his little fancy coat and splattered animal blood all over it. And, 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 and think about how, though, it, it, God wasn't uh, uh, abandoned uh, Joseph and that God was with Joseph at that same moment so that at the end of the episode, when the brothers went to Joseph and were basically saying, hey, bro, sorry about what happened, you know, about you know, throwing you in a ditch and leaving you for dead and all of that. Sorry. Uh, Joseph sees the goodness of God concurrently working through the evilness of his brothers. And he said, hey, guys, what you meant for evil, and they meant it for evil. I mean, you don't throw your brother in a pit and leave him for dead unless you're intending evil. But just by the record, I mean, you know, I want my grandsons to know, don't throw your little brother in the pit, you know. That's evil. Don't do that, you know. Um, But what God meant for evil, but what you meant for evil, God meant it. That the very same sort of episodes and actions, God meant it for good. We ought to be grateful that that while the particulars may be nuanced and different, that's that's just the operating principle in which God is running the universe for the good of His children at this very moment. The biggest, strongest, most powerful evil person or persons or group of persons in the universe who are out to get you are nonetheless under the sovereign supervision of God who loves his children and will only bring about good for his children. Always. You see how we got to get ahead of this on a good day? Where the bottom drops out so that we can then interpret the adversity in light of God's goodness? He says there in verse 70, I'll tell you what these people are like. Their heart is unfeeling like fat. In other words, they have no sensitivity uh, to the word of God. But in contradistinction to them, they have no sensitivity to God's word. He says, but, verse 70, the second part, but I delight in your law.
then he adds, verse 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And then he tells us in verse 72 something incredibly important that he is now learning about God's statutes as a result of the adversity that he is going through, that both evil men have purposed and yet God has ordained as well. He says there, the law of your mouth is gooder to me, better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What he's saying is this. You know what affliction has done for me? It has caused me to value your word even more. I have even more delight in your word now and the, on the, in the middle of or the back end of this affliction than what I had for your word on the front end of this affliction. Pastor Carl read a segment of Romans 8 for us this morning, and that's so apropos for part of what is occurring here. For part of what he read is verses 28 and 29, where it reminds us for all things. And in the context there, there were some, some difficult things expressed in the category of all things. For all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Of course, the optimal word, I think, in that passage is, well, what's this good purpose that God is up to? He says to us that his good purpose in the next verse is that, that, we, that what God has set in motion is that we who belong to Jesus are being changed into the image and likeness of Jesus a little bit at a time through the adversities of our lives. Oh, bad things can happen to God's people. You bet they can. And you bet they will. And that doesn't distract from neither the greatness nor the goodness of God. But God in His wisdom, His goodness, His greatness, wastes Nothing. Wastes nothing. He leverages every episode, every situation, every event, every circumstance in the universe of his people. And he he turns even the bad stuff into good outcomes. For he causes that bad stuff to further result in you and I looking more and more like his son, Jesus. For Jesus was the one who was abandoned on the cross to great affliction and adversity. But he was abandoned at the cross at that moment in time so that now all who belong to Jesus, and even now this morning, if you want to jump in on this, all who turn and trust in Jesus, even at this moment, God will never leave us nor forsake us. The work that he has begun in us, he will bring it to completion. And he will even leverage the adversity of our life to further shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. So we thank you, Father. We thank you that even adversity 
is within the pale of your power and your might to bring about good things in the lives of your children. Not necessarily the good things as we would arbitrarily uh, define them, but the good things as you perfectly would define them. That you are shaping your people into the image of your good son, Jesus. Father, give us this hope. Give us this confidence. Father, when adversity comes, may we not have amnesia. And we pray that, 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 that the goodness of your grace would not be eclipsed from our sight of vision. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.